0: done it, and he's done it in grand style with a boundary. Well done, Glenn McGrath. First ever half-century in test cricket. He's got it out! He's, 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 he's
1: got it out! Blaine I has got it! She got his birthday. Not yet, love your team! Briggs-Lapper,
0: 200 in style. What a moment for her. And she hit contest. Look at that. What an inning another episode of Community Game Changers, where we sit down with cricket volunteers from across the country and share their stories and club ideas they've brought to life. Today's guest is Joe Hill. He's the president of the Alexandra and Eastern Hills Cricket Association in South Australia and our national winner for the 2020-2021 Cricket Association of the Year Award. I sat down with Joe to talk about a range of topics, including association governance, creating partnerships, as well as how they went about engaging their players and understanding their wants and needs, which has led to the association to now providing cricket to over a thousand participants. Welcome, Joe.
1: Thanks, Talia. Good to be part of the podcast.
0: Now, we are here off the back of the association's win at the National Community Cricket Award. You won Association of the Year. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Oh, it was a huge thrill and um, yeah, for everyone on our committee and, and even some of the, the members in the recent past, we were all super excited and uh, found it to be a, a huge pat on the back and some great reassurance that we are doing some good things and um, to get that acknowledgement at a state and then a national level um, was pretty special. So uh, we we're all yeah, super excited and, and even uh, across our clubs, uh, in the district, everyone was um, uh, really pleased to see that uh, yeah we're doing some good things and and uh, getting a good pat on the back for it.
0: Unfortunately, we couldn't have it in person. So it was a uh, broadcasted live event. So you actually got to sit with your committee and watch it happen. What was that like?
1: Uh, well, it was good for on a few fronts. Um, we have got a, a brand new um, high level cricket facility which is uh, gonna be used for cricket for the first time this October when the cricket season starts. So the Mount Barker um, Summit Sport and, Rec Park, uh, Sport and Recreation Park is a, a project which has been driven by the local council. It's right in the heart of our association. And uh, we thought that was the perfect place to all get together and check it out as a group for the first time. Um, so that was, that was awesome. And um, yeah, to actually all be together as a group and hear the announcement to uh, some cheers and clinking of glasses. Uh, that was that was really good. so worked out well. Would have would have been great to um, be part of a, a traditional event, but I think we're all accustomed to uh, these online versions of um, being able to do similar stuff.
0: Alexandra and Eastern Hills Cricket Association. Tell us a little bit about like where it's located, a bit of the history, the, the stuff that you're involved in, of, involved in.
1: Yeah, so to give you a bit of be- a bit of background, um, we are um, spread across a, a fairly vast area in the Adelaide Hills and Upper Flurio region of South Australia. So most of our clubs are sort of within uh, 35 to maybe a little over an hour from Adelaide across the that Adelaide Hills area and down towards Strathalban and that region. So uh, for your listeners that are, are not... Um, South Australians it's um, I guess uh, just on the, the cusp of the urban areas in in some of our um parts and and very much a regional um townships uh towards the the areas a bit further from Adelaide um we uh, are an association that uh, commenced in 1982 or 83 I think it was after an amalgamation between the Alexandra and the Eastern Hills Association so that was um uh, an important um, decision that was made back in in that era that uh, allowed cricket to flourish after it was starting to struggle a little bit, and um, since that time we've had new clubs come on board. Where now we're actually quite a, a strong, viable, and um, we're seeing a lot of growth as well. So in Mount Barker, particularly and Nan, which are two of the bigger townships uh, in our association, there. Um, going through a huge amount of growth, going from being little country towns to having um, a lot of new development, lots of young families moving to the area. So we're we've got, we're starting to see a bit of a shift in dynamic in a, a more diverse mix of people coming on board uh, and giving cricket a go and, and some clubs that had been probably plateauing a little bit, starting to see Lots of new new people come through their doors and um, wanting to get involved. So uh, it's an exciting time to be involved. And, um, yeah, so we've got 14 clubs and about 1,000 participants that are involved uh, each week.
0: How did you get involved in cricket?
1: Um, Well, back when I was a little tacker, it was just a case of uh, Dad taking me out to practice one week and uh, giving it a go and, yeah, I had a, a group of close mates that were all signed up at the same time. So for me, it was a, a pretty early connection as a seven or eight-year-old and, uh, yeah, kind of been involved in either playing or uh, off-field roles ever since. Uh, I think last summer was the first season I didn't play any Saturday cricket with um, a, a little, little one at home, a three-year-old daughter and um, a few other uh, responsibilities and stuff but um yeah still enjoy helping out with the uh the, the roles, president and, and driving our committee
0: how did you transition we were, we were like obviously volunteer at your club and then transition to association how did you make that transition uh, on to an association
1: I think at a club level um I became club secretary when I was 16 or 17 uh when My dad uh, overheard me complaining about something at the dinner table and he uh, quickly reminded me that if I am unhappy about the way uh, decisions are made or or things are going, the best way to do something about it is to put your hand up and actually be part of the group that makes the decision. So that was an important piece of advice that I got early on and since then I've really, uh, well, it's become very clear that um, that's the best way to influence positive change is to actually be uh, involved in uh, roles at a committee level or, or other working groups and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's, that was probably 20-plus uh, years ago. But I think ever since then I've been involved in um, different committees or volunteering roles and I found it really rewarding to uh, put some energy in, into um, looking at how things can be done differently and better.
0: What do you find the biggest difference is between being on a committee at a club and then a committee at an association?
1: Um, I've really enjoyed being able to influence things at probably a, a more strategic higher level. I think at a club level, it's very easy to kind of get caught up with the, um, the day to day and the week to week of, um, you know, the, the things that you need to focus on around, you know, selecting teams and keeping people happy and rostering people to do the barbecue and those sorts of things. Whereas, um, in the time that I've been, uh, involved at the association level, it's been, um, it's been good to be able to look at sort of the bigger picture things and making decisions that can have uh, impacts for longer periods of time around, for example, competition structure, to be able to make sure we have sustainable growth in participation, um, looking at the way that we um, manage our junior program so that we can um, get more kids involved at that entry level uh, and hopefully enjoying the cricket and sticking at it. So... That's been the um, more rewarding aspect for me.
0: Now, the association committee, what's the structure What's the structure like?
1: Um, so when I first became involved, it was um, a group of club delegates and a couple of office bearers um, that made all the decisions uh, at Alexander and Eastern Hills. But an important change that we made, and a fairly radical one at the time, probably 10 or 12 years ago, was to switch from having a a model where you had all the club delegates involved with every decision and every meeting to a more streamlined committee structure where we had nine uh, executive positions elected by the clubs and they were able to do things more efficiently and not get too parochial around their, their own club allegiances and that sort of thing. So um, that, that shifting our governance model has actually um, really taken us forward and, and made, made us a lot more of a, Sort of an agile and more effective committee. So we've got um, probably like most committees a um, president, vice president, secretary, treasurer. Um, the my cricket administrator is an important role, um, and then a few exec um, positions that sit there to spread the load. But importantly, over the last couple of years, we've um, had a an arrangement with the South Australian Cricket Association, which has been really successful. Where we've had a um, a paid administrator um, staff member helping us in um, the comp admin stuff um, supporting our committee so um, yeah it was a pilot to start with uh, that we were approached to to consider um, and it proved to be really successful so now we're we've, we've continued on with that arrangement where for a fairly modest amount that we're able to kind of levy clubs and players across the board it allows us to reduce the burden on our volunteers and let them focus on the, the higher level things and the day-to-day uh, things that often burn people out and wear them down we're able to um, allocate that to this admin support person who is there to do a whole bunch of stuff um, week in week out.
0: I've been on a committee that's had a paid administrator before so I know the benefits quite well um, and for someone like me i you know, I joined the committee for a reason, and um, didn't necessarily have time for admin. So, I, in some, and I know that across the country, associations some are moving to that model, and some um, may choose not to. How have you found, in terms of you as president, the the shift by having a paid admin, like the workload change?
1: Uh, well, the, the the workload burden is has dropped significantly, but. That, that probably isn't the biggest benefit though it's it's um, it's not only that but it's the the timeliness that things can be turned around when you're not relying on someone to you know find a few minutes here and there between their work and family and other commitments um, so things are done uh, in a timely manner uh, the professionalism that you can expect around it that the extra value adds that we hadn't even considered around being able to have uh, bi-weekly uh, news newsletter updates that go out to clubs um being able to help with the management of our social media uh, our website all those sorts of things that um were in scope in the, and and those extra value adds out of out of that as well so yeah it, it just has um completely revolutionized the way that we're able to um approach the administration of our competitions and even the um harshest critics when we were looking at this concept originally um, have all come around to the idea that it's um, money well spent and a, um, a lot of value that it brings.
0: Do you think that it allows the committee to I guess free up brain space for lack of better term to actually think more longer term? Uh,
1: yeah for sure it, it allows us to kind of lift our eyes and look at the bigger picture things but, um, but even like the um, there's a whole bunch of things that we kind of had on our rainy day list that never came so um, being able to explore sponsorship opportunities and yeah a whole range of other things that were just so far down the priority list that are now um, doable and manageable so that's been a huge benefit as well.
0: So you just kind of touched on it but in terms of uh, because there's going to be a bit that we're going to cover in our chat today but how do you go about planning as an association in terms of where you're going to focus your attention on and where you're trying to gonna, to, you know you target your efforts in terms of growth opportunity? How do you go about that as a committee?
1: Yeah, we we haven't got to the stage yet, but we hope to where we've got um, a strategic you know some sort of basic strategic plan in place. But for us at the moment, it's really about just um, the simple things in making sure that we're um, regularly consulting not only with clubs but directly with those involved as players and in volunteer roles so that we can understand uh, where clubs are at and where their barriers and challenges are and with with having a, a more streamlined model like I touched on earlier uh, it means that we're kind of we're able to kind of focus on on some of that more strategic stuff and be a bit more um, longer term in the way we we approach it so I mean the big things for us probably like most associations is just making sure that we're making our junior competitions accessible uh, affordable easy for people to sign up and get involved because um yeah once well from my experiences once people kind of get their taste of it have a positive experience uh, chances are they'll continue on and in the long run our our senior and other competitions will flourish so that's um that's always a a big focus for us
0: now in the application and also you've touched on it the association scene. some significant growth and sustainable type of growth over the last um, little while, and especially when maybe participation numbers have been going down elsewhere. Where did you start with that and how does that come about?
1: Um, So I guess uh, there's there's two aspects to that. Um, With regards to our junior competitions, where where we saw a big shift uh, was uh, a few years ago we, or up until a few years ago, we had a, a fairly traditional um structure around the way we program our junior grades and it was all fairly regimented where saturday mornings you all the kids got out there and had a hit and um that that worked well for a period of time but we found that um by being more conscious of the needs of parents and and catering to their needs as well it led to us amending our fixturing so that we're playing more cricket on um Friday nights, particularly the, the real youngsters, so the under-10s and under-12s, um, and that led to a lot of clubs creating a, a different dynamic and a different environment where on a Friday night the whole family could go down to the Oval, there'd be a barbecue, the, they could have a drink or chat with their other parents and that sort of thing. And that, that was only one shift in, in the way we were structuring it, but that allowed us to, to see some, some quite significant growth And it also meant that the kids that were um, at the um, more advanced end of the under 12s grade, if they were keen enough to go out and have a hit to make up the numbers in the under 14s or or earn a spot in their own right, we weren't sort of clashing with the the programming. But it really kind of boiled down to listening to to the needs of clubs and and parents as well, which... um, I must admit, up until then, I, I never kind of thought about the parents in, in that way and to catering to their needs. So if you keep them happy, chances are the, the kids will be signed up the following year as well.
0: Did you, how did you go about seeking that feedback? And was there, um, I guess, it, like was it different than speaking to the clubs in terms of speaking to parents? And then if it was, what was, the, was there any kind of challenges that you may have had to convincing clubs that this was the way you were going to go?
1: Actually, in answering that question, I was just going to mention as well around um, we had a a, a bit of a shift or quite a big shift with our um, senior cricket as well, where we um, only a few years ago, we went from having a mix of two and one day cricket to playing exclusively one day cricket across our senior grades, which meant that a cohort of people that might have worked in roles in the mines week on, week off or or had to uh, work on Saturdays semi regularly or had joint custody of children, all those sort of things were able to commit to playing cricket more regularly. Um, but with both those decisions, um, one of the, the big shifts was that traditionally the way we would consult with clubs and reach decisions around the way we structure our competitions was that we would put it on the agenda, we'd have a delegates meeting, all the club reps would come together, there'd be a bit of discussion, we hold a vote and away we go. But what we, what we found, and I'm sure it's very similar across just about every cricket association is that the people that put their hand up to be a club delegate at a, you know, go along with these committee meetings aren't always able to reflect or, or communicate the, the views of the, the participants as articulately and accurately as what they could. So um, what we started doing and we still do each year is having uh, online surveys that reach the, the participants directly and the parents in some case, depending on what we're consulting on. So as an example of when we looked at changing our, um, the structure of our senior grades, we had lots of opposition from the club delegates saying, Oh, you know, we've always done it this way. It needs to be, you know, the tradition and all this, um, sort of thing, which was important that we listened to that. But I think a more important voice in in, in these sorts of discussions is the people that are directly involved. So we, um, had just had a simple online survey, got all the details of the um, email addresses of the, the players across the different clubs, sent that out. Had a really good response rate, and the overwhelming message was that yes, we do actually want to um, move to a, a structure where we're playing all one-day games. Um, it also led to us doing a bit more um, in the T20 space, which back a few years ago um, was a, wasn't quite as prominent. So. Yeah, having that direct line of communication with the people that are involved week to week meant that we could have the confidence that by making some changes that even though they were relatively sort of radical, we had the confidence that it was going to be well received and was going to improve the experience for those participants that were involved.
0: And were there any challenges with the clubs when you would obviously make those decisions and did you see an increase in participation because of of the changes that you made?
1: Um, yeah, we saw an increase in participation. We saw the, um, the standard of competition improve and we also saw the gap between the stronger and the weaker clubs reduce. So um, all those important indicators all point in the right direction. Yeah, initially we did have a few detractors, a few grumpy people, um, but within a year or two when we were seeing such great participation and, and some really good cricket being played, even... Some of the uh, staunchest opponents uh, came around to the idea and and were quite um, happy that we made the right call and we we had the best interests of cricket overall at heart.
0: This kind of links into some work you're doing and it's in the partnership space, but you work closely with kind of adjoining regional other associations who may be struggling. Talk us through that.
1: Yeah, so um, we have a a really close working relationship with the... um, other associations that are in our region so the murray towns cricket association covers murray bridge and surrounding areas and then there's um two other associations that cover the the hill adelaide hills region and um we're doing quite a few things in that space but one important step forward was um three or four years ago when we all got together and identified that having a dedicated girls competition would be a huge plus for for our member clubs and for cricket as a whole Um, but being all country associations none of us individually kind of had enough uh, enough happening in that space to go it alone so we all um, got together and created the Upper Fleury Girls Strikers League which is um, going from strength to strength so each year we've had sort of two or three clubs from each of the different associations in a position to have enough girls keen to pull teams together so um yeah that's that's getting bigger every year and we're getting back to what we're saying about consultation we've we've found that by having um regular lines of communication with the girls that are involved in it we've been able to make some tweaks each year as to um the way it's structured and the days that we play and the number of overs and those sorts of things to make sure that we're catering to their needs and making it really positive experience for the, the girls that are involved in that. So that's, that's one area where we've had some good collaboration. Um, another is, um, in know, our, our junior competitions probably for boys to um, support the Torrens Valley Cricket Association, which is, um, yeah, they had a period where they were really struggling for numbers and now um, we uh, have their clubs that want to field junior teams um, do that in our sort of existing competition structure. So that, that works well for, for them and for us. And um, yeah, another collaboration we've been looking at is um, like most associations, the the under-16 age group can often be a a big drop-off in numbers. So to make sure that our competitions remain viable and sustainable, we've been working with the Neighboring Hills Cricket Association about the potential to bring our under-16 competitions together into one so that we've got a bit more flexibility in fixturing and making sure that the, the games are as even as possible and we're giving those participants as much opportunity as we can.
0: How do you go about starting those kind of relationships? Because it can be, you know, like clubs in the same association, it's it's there'll be rivalries and all that kind of thing. And associations can also function where you know it is just about their clubs and it's obviously the welfare of theirs. And um, but to branch out and kind of work together might be uh, new for some. How do you go about actually fostering that relationship so it's a it's a really positive one that have, that actually benefits both?
1: Yeah, we we're quite fortunate um, in that we have a um, quite a strong uh, regional group that that oversees the the Fleury area. Predominantly, that was set up to kind of have the the pathways for representative cricket and that sort of thing. But it's also proven to be a really good forum for the different people involved in the the different associations in our region to be able to sort of come together and, and bounce around different ideas and and what we find through those um, those meetings and even some of the informal catch-ups is that we're all dealing with the same challenges a lot of the time. So uh, when we establish that, makes it a bit easier when you can uh, bounce around ideas or, or talk about what solutions might have been tried and what's worked and what hadn't and why. We're also lucky that um, the South Australian Cricket Association provide Various opportunities where people come together, whether it's awards functions or, or different working, working groups. Where um, yeah, there's there's normally a handful of opportunities each summer where the uh, the different people holding similar positions in in different associations can um, uh, share those those ideas or the different challenges.
0: And another partnership that you've started is a bit more we're kind of a little bit off track here, but it's in the social media space uh, and partnering with the football netball to, I guess, live stream and access across different audiences. Talk us through that.
1: Yeah, that's been really exciting. And, and we've been seeing some some great responses there. So um, a few years ago, we um, put a lot more focus into setting up our, our social media. So we've got a, a really lively Facebook page where we have lots of new content going up there and different information and news and opportunities for people to chat about local cricket. And that's Um, led to us now being in a position where we've um, had some support from a group called Murraylands football netball live streaming team Uh, not sure if I got the name exactly right but um, it was a initiative set up by um, a fellow by the name of Bruce Phillips who actually was a a former cricket umpire in our association and he invested into setting up a um, getting all the live streaming gear and setting up a purpose-built trailer where initially it was to go around to cover some local football games and then we got together and chatted about doing some live streaming of cricket and um it's been really well received so this last season we did all of our um or well, quite a few of our t20 games and he also came out and live streamed our grand final so um it's one of those things where once upon a time it was um quite cost prohibitive and a lot of um, hassle involved but as time's gone on it's um a bit more achievable and accessible to be able to um, have, have cricket uh, live streamed and projecting to a, a bigger audience. And, yeah, for grandparents interstate or family and friends or others that have an interest in Alexander and Eastern Hills cricket, it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing, you can um, tune, if you, tune in if you're keen to check it out.
0: And do you get a sponsor to cover that or how do you cover the cost of that now?
1: Well, we've been quite um, lucky in that uh the bruce who i mentioned earlier is uh we uh, work together to talk to clubs and their own sponsors and um yeah luckily he's able to kind of do it at a a rate that's pretty affordable if he can find if we can help him find um a few club sponsors that want to support it get some exposure through the the coverage yeah it's it's pretty workable which um which is great
0: Moving on to facilities, so facilities, obviously, different local governments, uh, usually clubs. How does the association play into the facility space and how do you support your clubs and local government in terms of trying to improve uh, your facilities across the association?
1: Yeah, uh, we're quite lucky in that um, the the different local governments uh, that cover um, our clubs and our association, for the most part, um, invest quite a bit into sport and recreation um facilities so that's a good starting point um, not every area around the country is lucky in that way but um, yeah we we've got a, a great culture of um volunteering um, a lot of clubs that are very proud of the facilities that they've built up thanks largely to the hard work of volunteers sponsors and a bit of help from um from various levels of government We are, um, as an association, always very proactive in supporting clubs, encouraging them to make that investment. And, um, yeah, we've got a couple of um, exceptionally good facilities that mean that the bar is always pretty high for for other clubs to aspire to as well. that competitive streak on the cricket field always extends off field as well with um, clubs that would always want to yeah, be at the front of the pack and um, and make those facilities as good as they can be. I mentioned at the start that we have um, got a, a brand new facility, which is um, going to be used from this coming season onwards, which is a, a huge plus for us. So, um, yeah, the Summit Sport and Recreation Park at Mount Barker is going to be... Um, an exceptionally high standard i expect that going forward we might see some um some wbbl games perhaps uh, or some some other sort of higher level fixtures uh using that facility so yeah to be able to throw that in the mix along with some of the other grounds that we've got available is is really good so yeah lots happening in that space as well and and uh once that grounds up and running along with Uh, The Callington Oval, which has just had a new turf pitch installed, we're going to, um, yeah, almost have double the amount of um, turf cricket available, which is um, a huge step forward as well.
0: With the turf wickets, do you, this is a bit off topic as well, do you uh, manage them, clubs manage them, or councils manage them?
1: With the exception of this new facility at Mount Barker, which is coming online soon, all the other clubs are um, uh, structured in a way where they have a mix of, volunteer um volunteer management and um we've got um a a good local contractor who um is very supportive of local cricket as well and provides a lot of support for our clubs. so um yeah a little bit of a mix but i know um for a lot of clubs that's a a big uh investment and and can be a big burden at times but fortunately for us uh, a lot of our clubs have got their act together and and really structured it in a way where it isn't more of a burden than it has to be
0: It's definitely an area where people have the knowledge and then if someone leaves, uh, you can lose all of that knowledge in one fell swoop Um, and it's I think it's easy to forget that it's a living thing Um, and, yeah, to be able to maintain it to a standard that everyone wants it to be uh, requires a lot of hard work and, yeah, it can be a a real challenge for clubs. Um, They're a great thing but, yeah, it's an everyday activity for someone um so yeah, it's a big responsibility if yeah if you've got the support around from the the like you know from different you know council and contractors and clubs to share that knowledge I think that's pretty good because it's one of those uh spaces that can go south very quickly if someone moves on
1: yeah for sure and and like I mentioned before about the one of the local contractors um who is a big has got a lot of knowledge in that space uh, that up until uh, him starting his business, it was definitely um, the feedback I got from clubs was that it, it did tend to be uh, a lot of work falling to a small number of volunteers with all the, the knowledge. So a bit like our um, decision to invest in having some comp admin support, a lot of these clubs have seen the importance of putting that uh, investment into a paid expert to um, to do a lot of that work means that the, the quality of the, the product um, – Is much better and you're not having to burn out volunteers or or have all that knowledge sitting with too few
0: and the last thing i wanted to touch on is you do a bit of work in supporting clubs in terms of female leadership so obviously you've got um you've got a female on the committee um what is what's the work that the association have been doing there and also supporting clubs to bring more females into that sort of committee space
1: Yeah, so um, in the time that I've been involved on um, the association committee, we have tried as much as we can to um, encourage people, uh, encourage a broad range of people to come on board, um, you know, men, women, um, younger people who maybe traditionally have been a little bit tentative, um, but really tried to make sure that our committee uh, reflects the diversity of the people involved in cricket as a whole. Um, I think we, up until then, like many other associations have tended to had a bit of a cookie cutter approach where you look around the the committee table and similar sorts of people with similar ideas and similar um, views of the world were making all those decisions. And when you don't have a lot of diversity on, on, you know, in a workplace or in a cricket committee or any decision-making body, um, it really limits how broadly you can think about ideas and yeah, so, so that's been a, a focus for us is to reach out to people that we see have got um, something to offer and encourage them to come on board rather than getting to the AGM and, and just seeing who puts a hand up for, for different things. So being proactive in that space has meant that we've been able to have uh, quite a few really talented female leaders be part of our committee um, and then that's filtered down to club level where we're seeing um, a lot more involvement of um, female leaders putting their hand up for various roles, and um, and we're seeing the benefits of that with um, the the positive way that our clubs and our associations are being run, and and clearly with things like the establishment of the Upper Fleury Girl Strikers League, it's important that we have a, a mix of different people involved in the way those things are run.
0: People listening may think we'd love to have some females on our committee, um, but we're like we've tried so how do you how do you find and identify the right people do they come from your club land how do you go about trying to seek and that could be for any committee member because finding anyone to sit on a committee can be tough how do you go about finding the right people to sit on your committee
1: yeah I think um well a big barrier a lot of the time is um yeah females moving into an area which is traditionally dominated by men but also um I find that There's a lot of young people involved in cricket and our association that have got a lot to offer, a lot of enthusiasm, but um, have previously kind of not seen that as a role for them. It's sort of the the role of the elder statesman at the club, not for someone in their 20s or 30s, perhaps. So for us, it's been about um, being clear about the type of skills that we need to be able to move forward. And then um, looking around thinking, okay, well, if we need someone who's got the skills to be the treasurer or got the skills to drive our social media or need or child protection or whatever it might be, um, and then keeping our eyes and ears open around who is the best fit for that. And if you can kind of move away from the the stereotypes of the who might have filled those roles in years gone by and, and just thought about, okay, who's the best fit for the role? often that will lead you to um, a broader range of people that might be out there willing to put their hand up. And um, who knows, maybe they've just been waiting for someone to tap them on the shoulder and give them a bit of encouragement to come on board.
0: I always like to finish off with the same types of question. What has been, what's one of the biggest challenges that you've faced in your role and overcome?
1: Hmm, that's a tricky one. Um, Oh, I think... Well, one one broad sort of thing I've found is that um, it's nice to keep everyone happy, um, but it's impossible to do all the time. And um, yeah, so I mean, luckily not too often, but there have been a handful of times over the years where, um, whether it's a, a dispute or or some other challenge that comes up, where um, you know not everyone's going to be happy with the outcome Um, that that's definitely a challenge. I I mean, in the workplace, that's something that comes up, but you you know, when you're being paid to do something, you, you realize that that's just part of it, but in a volunteer role that can really wear you down where you think, you know, I I don't know if I could be bothered um, going through the heartache of having to make decisions that, you know, might not be popular or it's going to leave someone uh, feeling like they've been let down or, or, unhappy with the outcome so yeah i think broadly that's that's something that can be a challenge at times is um yeah making decisions that you know not everyone's going to be happy with
0: what are you most proud of
1: um i think when we when we look at the um the growth in um well participation overall but yeah with the uh, the number of girls that are putting a hand up to to play in the, um, the new competition we set up. I had a very proud moment last week when we had a, um, a young lad who um, is from our region, from the Lobethorpe Cricket Club, was picked as a rookie list player for the Redbacks. Um, that was a real thrill for everyone right across our association. We um, are always striving to get as many people involved, but I guess we also want to make sure that we're part of the pathway process for future test cricketers and, um, and stars at, at all. Level So, yeah, when we do have that talent emerge and and get the opportunity to um, play at that higher level, it's a a real thrill.
0: And what are three tips for anyone listening at home? It can be, they can be broad tips. They could be very specific to something. What are three tips that you think would help other people at home?
1: Um, I think, um, as I touched on earlier, using... um, online surveys and um, different tools like that to connect directly with parents and players is a really important and, well, pretty cheap and easy too nowadays um, way to uh, get your finger on the pulse and make sure that you're making decisions that um, make a positive difference to all the people involved. Um, so that's, that's one thing. We've got two to go now. Um, okay. Other tips? Yeah, I think um, be proactive in reaching out to people that, um, you know, will add some value. Every sporting committee has always got that challenge of um, people feeling a bit like that it's, it's not a role for me. Um, you know, it's a role for the, the fella over there who's the club legend who's played 400 games. Whereas if, if you want to have a, um, a role off-field that's really got nothing to do with it. It's about who's got the um, energy and the ideas and the, the more that your committee can reflect the membership of your club or the people in your community, um, the better the decision-making will be. Um, One more. Yeah. Okay. Let's see if, what else I can pull out. Um, I know, um, I know social media is becoming a much more central part of the way clubs communicate, but um yeah it's it's such a um it's if you can have um people involved that can take that to the next level then yeah it's it's got so much power like even uh, we haven't we weren't able to do it last year but um yeah it's so easy to have like a, a weekly video update on what's happening whereas i think sometimes clubs or or associations a bit reluctant to sort of really kind of get roll their sleeves up and get into all the different tools and ways that you can connect with people but um yeah, um, use that technology. I know, I know like our, our last committee meeting that we held, majority of people uh, logged in uh, via Zoom. But we're talking today, Talia. So <laughs> yeah, the the more that we can make people's lives easier and communicate information by making the most of the the tools that are around, there's not the expense that was once involved with some of these things. It's, it's quick and easy. It's just about breaking the... Um, the mentality that, um, yeah, to have an effective meeting, you have to all be sitting around the table or to communicate with clubs. You need to all get together in an old hall somewhere. Yeah, there's, there's sorts of ways that you can um, connect really successfully and, and make it easier for people and let them do it from the comfort of their own homes.
0: Awesome. That was nearly four tips. So well done. I think there's a lot here. I think there's definitely episode number two that we will need to uh, come back and chat to you about because there was a lot there and it was just about hearing a bit about the work that you do, but I definitely think we can come back and dig deeper into some of these. So thank you for giving up some time to chat with me today. I guess for everyone listening at home, stay tuned because yeah, we will come back with another episode at another time. But again, Thank you, Joe. It sounds like you're doing some great work.
1: Thanks, Sally. That that time has flown by, and yeah, hopefully we do get another chance to um, catch up and chat some more.